Hi, this is Wayne Randazzo of the WCBS Mets Radio Network, and you're listening to Baseball and BBQ. special episode of Baseball and Barbecue. I am Leonard Averman, and I am proudly joined by my immaculate co-host, Jeff Cohen, as we bring you episode 74. Jeff, is there anything you want to say about this very special bonus episode? And it is a bonus episode. We have with us Jay Howard, my old boss. And, you know, we are unapologetically but ashamed Met fans. Well, maybe not for long. But just listening to Jay Horowitz, he's a gem of a PR director. He's been in the game over 40 years. You're going to love this episode. This bonus episode is a gift to our listeners, and it's not too early to think about holiday gifts. So we suggest you check out the wonderful website, BaseballBBQ.com, for baseball-themed grilling tools, and FifthAndCherry.com for beautiful handcrafted cutting boards. And now, here's Jay Horowitz. Enjoy. Today, we have a guest who would be unanimous choice to favor the Public Relations Hall of Fame. He started his career at NYU as Sports Information Director and went on to Fairleigh Dickinson University before starting a four-decade career with the New York Mets, the first 38 of which was as Public Relations Director and the last couple of years as VP of Alumni Relations and Mets Historian. He has written a book titled, Mr. Met, How a Sports Med Kid from Jersey Became Like Family to Generations of Big Leaguers. We are pleased to have with us the one and only Jay Horowitz on Baseball and BBQ. Welcome, Jay. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, Jay, bef- before I start, I, wanna, I went to an event that Ron Hodges attended, and I mentioned to him that I worked for, him, for you in 1984, and I remember him in the, in the clubhouse. So I said, next time I speak to Jay, tell him I say hello. So, Jay, Ron yeah. Hodges says hello. Yeah, I spoke to him a little bit. Yeah, Ron's a good man. My wife, Peggy, you know. So. Uh, yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> okay, Jay, this stuff that you treat. How many, wait, Jeff, how many, how many years, how many years has it been that you were supposed to give Jay that, that message? About three. Okay. (laughs) It was close. It was good. Because Jay thought Ron didn't care about him. No, I I I tried to keep it contrary with so many old friends. Yeah. Jay, this book is such a treat for any baseball and especially Mets fans because you you were such popular with the players. I've seen people coming up to you wanting to take a picture and engage in conversation. So how did you become so popular? Well, a couple of things. I, I I always took myself, I never took myself seriously, number one. And they always treated the fans with respect. They came up to me where they asked questions. And with the players, they always tried to treat the 25th guy on the team like the number one guy on the team. 
I didn't play any favorites. And I, that's one of the ways of surviving the club. As you can't just, you know, cater to the star players, do stuff for the all-stars. You got to keep everybody the same. And I just try to be, you know, but not uh, had if fans had a question, I'd answer them. Always go up to them and just try to be nice to everybody. Mm-hmm. You started working. You started out working at NYU and then uh, Fairleigh Dickinson University, and then you got a call to interview for the Mets. At first, you thought it was a prank. I thought it was a friend of mine. I had uh, we're talking now the the winter of 1980. I'd accepted a job to be the PR guy with, with work as a stat guy with Joe Caraggio and Tony Kubek and NBC. And about a month before I was supposed to start, I got a call from somebody. Hey, this is Bob from the Mets. We'd like to interview for the PR job. So I said, but, you know, don't care around, Bob. I hung up on the guy. Next day, I found out the offer was legitimate. So I said, okay. I, I flew down to St. Petersburg. And my, when I said the direction, I went to the wrong hotel. Supposed to go to the Edgewood Beach. I went to the Hyatt. By the time I got to the, to the regular hotel, Frank Cash and the GM and the Mets were sitting there waiting for me. And I was so nervous, I proceeded to throw a huge container of orange juice all over his lap. Uh, he asked me one question. He said, I hear you like to read. You know, what do you think of Brosnan? I said, who wrote it? Shakespeare? He was talking about Jim Brosnan, the old White Sox and Cub pitcher. I remember going to the airport. I called my late mom. I said, Mom, there's no way I got this possible job. Well, 40-plus years later, I'm still here. That's an impression. <laughs> Jay, Jeff worked for the Mets as an intern right. back in 84, Right. You could be, uh, I don't know if you remember him at all. I, I well, don't ask me how good a job. I'm going to say he did a great job. I remember, I remember his hair. Uh, I remember, <laughs> you, were, you were there for Davey's first year, right, Jeff? It was his first year, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I we, uh, we're we really proud of all the interns who work for us. We went out to a lot of you know, good, good jobs, and I'm glad you guys are doing well. Thanks. Yeah, he, he uh, well, Jeff tells a story about bringing um bringing Bob Murphy the, the ticker tape in the booth. I right. guess the Yankees were pitching a no-hitter at the time. And, and I guess Bob Murphy says, I'm not going to read this because I don't want everybody to switch away. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Bob, Bob, you know, in all the years I've written Mets, I've never met a guy who refused an interview with Bob Murphy. But nice, nice gentleman. And really, it was a privilege to work with him and Ralph Kiner, you know, two gentlemen in the business. When I was a kid, I had the uh, the fortune of he he lived in the Arbors, which is right. in Rybrook, and uh, we found out. And I happened to I had the chance to sit at his kitchen table with him. Uh, I think I was a freshman in high school, yeah. and I sat at Bob Murphy's kitchen table. Yeah, and actually, Bob about almost got me fired one year. Oh, <laughs> we were in Pittsburgh, and I was jogging over a bridge. My younger days, where I could run. And a, and a German shipment bit me in the behind. Oh. And I had to go to the hospital to get a rabies shot. So that night, Bob interviewed me on radio. And he goes, Jay, I heard you got in trouble with a dog. I said, Bob, was really wasn't unusual. You know, I'm Jewish and the dog was German. <laughs> and I said, this way, the people back in New York were not happy with me. Not happy at all. The, these just, days, you might get fired for that. I, Who knows? These right? days. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. When I my first couple of years, I would have gotten fired a lot of years, a lot of times. So, but Murphy's a good man. Jay, you've had a lot of relationships, obviously, over the years with the Mets players, and you know a lot. You're like Mets royalty, well, um, and a lot of people look at you know all the 
the, the relationships that you've had with them. And I guess we all have players that we somehow we like, you know, for some odd reason. I was a big Dave Kingman fan. And in your book, which was a really great book, enjoyed just all Thank the you. interesting stories. You're welcome. And Dave Kingman stayed at your house for a few two, days. Two weeks. We had just gotten the second time. And I hit it off with him. Dave didn't have a great reputation with the media, but he really tried hard a second time. At the introductory press conference, he bought pens for all the writers. And one time in the locker, we see, I don't have a place to stay. He says, why don't you stay with me in my house at Clifton? So for two weeks, we rode back and forth, stopped off the White Castle once or twice, and he paid the tolls. So I went two weeks without having to pay tolls. But Dave worked, lives in Las Vegas now. where He runs a tennis court. A tennis academy in Las Vegas right now. Wow. Yeah, Sky King. I always, yeah. I, he was you just, I, I always had a thing for the, you know, the guys, the, the big home run hitters. Yeah. Just really, you know. And the, the Mets have had some good ones over the years. I mean, yeah, uh, Daryl and, uh, you know, Todd Hundley, of course. And, you know, right. Right. Biazza, of Biazza, course. Right. Yep. Of course. David Wright. Yeah. David Wright. Yeah. You know, uh, De- Jay. The early 80s was a little tough time for the Mets, and, and you were involved with a sort of a prank on April Fool's with George Plimpton. He wrote an article for Sports <laughs> Illustrated. How fun was it to be uh, part of that? It was great. It was, prank. It's, 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 this is uh, spring training 1985. Uh, Frank Cash and the GM got a call from George Plimpton and Mark Mulvoy, Mark Mulvoy from SI. They wanted to pull a, uh, um, a, a, a spring training prank, and we were supposedly assigned this. Uh, a six foot five gangly right-handed pitcher from some faraway country who threw a 109 mile an hour fastball. And what people didn't realize, the opening paragraph of the story said, This is an April Fool's joke. And nobody picked it up until day two. You know, we could have never done that today in this age of the social media. So the day the story came out, you know, late Mouse Sodomite or a good friend of mine, we had a tent in the, in the old Hungry Stengel uh, field in St. Petersburg. And we this we said to the media, this is where this is where your um, pitcher's going to throw. And so when we uh, when Sid was going to throw, so we came out of the tent. We had Ron Reynolds, one of our catches, he burnt a hole in his glove, and we told the media that this was his fastball, and he burnt a hole in the glove. And I got a call that afternoon from the editor of the uh, one of the New York papers. He said, "How could you give the story to SI when we cover you every day?" And we, we kept it going for about two days, and we could never, ever, ever do that in this modern age with all the you know, social media and stuff. But it was fun. We didn't hurt anybody. That was the main thing. We, we had some fun and didn't hurt anyone. Well, you, were, you yourself over the years, good-naturedly, were the, uh, was the recipient of many, many pranks. Many, 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 many pranks. <laughs> I could have written a whole book and all this stuff that my good friend John Franco did to me. Probably my uh, best joke he ever played. We're in the old Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles. And Johnny unscrewed a horse head from the lobby, got the keys to my room, went up to my room, put the horse head under my pillows, put ketchup on the pillows. And when I walked into the room, I thought I had a dead horse in my bed. Johnny would do stuff. He would put uh, dead rats in my workbook bag, put ice cream sandwiches in my coat pockets, put white on my glasses when we traveled, cut my ties on the plane. And, you know, he started something that David Wright picked up. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't have great eyesight. I used to watch the games with binoculars. So I left my binoculars in the locker room a lot of the time. 
and Johnny would put eye black on either part of the binoculars. When I got up to the press box, I took my binoculars off. I looked like Petey from the Little Rascals. I had the <laughs> big rings around my eyes, and when people got to a fight. But you know what? Johnny told me a long, long time ago that the boys don't like you. They're not going to mess with you. So I guess they like me a little bit. I think they like you a lot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and some of the players in, in, in the 80s were big on pranks, like uh, Roger McDowell and Howard Johnson. How, did they do anything with you? No, not really. Well, Roger, Roger's main culprit. He used to, Roger and Howard were the master of the hot foot. And they used to pick up poor Bill Robertson at first. I remember one time in Cincinnati, they got him when he went out to the first base coaching line. And his big hot foot on his foot. And, and it, Roger, that, that was your specialty, the hot foot. And thank God they never did it to me. Johnny was <laughs> the main guy who used to torment me all the time. Right, right. Jay, Jay, you, you know, you've been with the Mets for so many years through, you know, it's, as fans, we know they've, they've had some really down years. But, you know, and, and those got to be tough to go through. It's probably, it's, it's a heck of a lot easier. And as you talk about in your book, when the Mets were winning the World Series, and the ticket demands, and ev- the press wants to, they want every second. But when the Mets are losing, and they have the lean years, how, how do you deal with that? How, do, how does that, you know, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, let me just tell you one quick story about the winning. This is my favorite 86 story, and I could just only forget. We had just beaten Houston, and uh, I got to call my office the next day from somebody. Uh, he identified himself as Henry Ogden. He said he went to grammar school with me in Clifton, and he always knew from third grade on that I was going to get into baseball and then could I get him a couple of tickets for the World Series, he wouldn't even pay for them. So uh, I, Henry never got his tickets. The answer to your question is I never let the, the how the team is doing affect your job. Try to be professional all the time. Do your job. Don't let the press or anybody feel you're following through on stuff. That was my guiding principles, just to keep doing your job, don't look at the standing. Be a professional. If the team is not winning, come up with other stories that they press might like. In my might like, in, in like the early '80s, I promoted stories about like Lee Mazzilli being an ice skater. Uh, Doug Flynn played with the with Loretta Lynn band. Craig Swan was a was a trainer. George uh, Joe Youngblood used to hunt with uh, for, with bows and arrows. So just keep looking for things. Don't let the you can't get down if the team is not winning. Just keep doing your job. That's what really guided me through those years. Jay, the, the Wilpons have treated you like family, and it was, it's really nice to read how charitable they were behind the scenes. You also worked for, for Nelson Doubleday. Uh, can you tell us about him and how it was like to work for him as well? Yeah, I mean, they. I, I'm I'm really fortunate to be in the same place for 40 years. You know, like you said before, all the years weren't great. But they never really blame me for a bad headline or a bad story, you know. Like without saying anything, my my the team across the town probably had thirteen or fourteen PR guys during the time I we had one. They always let me do my job, and 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 uh, you know, I they were nice to me. They you know, they, I mean, I they they just let me do my job. That's the best thing. Both of them did. They you know, they didn't. I was things weren't bad. They didn't call me and threaten to fire me for a bad headline. They they understood in New York when team goes good, it's it's a good headline. When goes bad, bad headline. So they just let me do my job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Uh, again, perception is everything. When the Mets had their lean years, as a fan and as a as, as a kid, 
you could always tell when the season was almost over because the, they had a lot of hunters on the team, I remember, and they would all start to grow their winter beards. Yeah. And that well, meant the season was almost over and we were going nowhere. Yeah, well, I mean, they were, but I mean, you know, we, I, in the good years, you know, we had, uh, when I, for me, the, the, the two deciding things, uh, when, you know, when David Johnson took over the team in 1984, he had a great confidence himself. David was a millionaire. He was a real estate guy, got his degree in mathematics from Texas A&M. He didn't really need a job. So when he, in his first press conference, he's told the people, you know, I'm glad the manager of the Mets, what took you so long to hire me. So we <laughs> played to 86. We started the year off two and three, and he told the, one of the booster clubs, we're not going to lose any more games the rest of many more games the rest of the year. We lost 51 games the rest of the year. So, you know, that Davey was a big plus. And then, you know, when we got Daryl in, in the spring of 83, in May of 83, Keith came two months later. And then slowly but surely the, the, the parts started to fall into place. And, of course, Gary Carter. And, you know, what gets overlooked through the years, too, is you know, what Bobby O'Hayden made to the team. You know, came in 85, won, won 18 games in 1986. Probably won two of the biggest games in the postseason. In Houston, we lost the first game. He came back and won, you know, one pitch complete game to win game two. And after we lost, you know, the first two games of the World Series, he went back to Boston and won a game there. So very underrated guy and really a big part of the 86 team. He, he, he was, as, as was Sid Fernandez. He was right. underrated. He, uh, he really played a big part in, in those uh, years. And, and, and got like Tim Tuffle got a lot of key hits. I remember one game he beat the Phillies in 86 with a pinch of grand slam. And Dave was able to mold, you know, like he played Kevin Mitchell all over the place. Kevin could play shortstop, play left field. And, you know, he, he had a lot of faith. And, you know, and, and, you know, Doug Sisk, he came Wally back when he was young at that time. And he gave plenty of chance. And really in 84, a lot of people in the front office didn't want to bring Dwight up. They said they want him to send it back to the minor league. And Dave was adamant about bringing this 19-year-old kid who had struck out 300 batters the year before Lynchburg. So Davey was bold. He, he took chances because, like I said in the beginning, he didn't need the job, you know. I mean, and uh, people remember, he was a pretty successful uh, player of his own, right, in 40 home runs with Hank Aaron. But Davey was a guy who really, from 84 to 90, I think we averaged over 90 wins each of the years. And if we had the wild card in those days, you know, we would have been in the playoffs every year. Sure. Sure. You know, Len and I were talking earlier about, you mentioned a lot of managers in, in the book, Davey, Bobby Valentine, Willie Randolph, and Len and I were talking earlier, and we were really surprised that Willie only had one shot. He never got another yeah, job, and that's a that, shame. It's really, it's really a crime. It really is. That Willie never got another chance. He's, I think his winning percentage was like 530 or 540, and I always think, what would have happened, you know, and, you know, and, and you know, poor Carlos Beltran, yeah, he gets criticized because he didn't hit Wayne Wright's pitch. Well, if we had gotten to the World Series and win a World Series, who knows what would have happened, and but Willie, I mean, it's really a travesty. He hasn't gotten another chance. But really, I owe a lot to my first manager, uh, you know, Joe Torrey. Uh, I, I was out of college in 1980. He took me what what the major leagues would be like. He introduced me to all his friends, uh, Reggie Jackson, Pete Rose, George Brett. One time in a trip to Montreal, uh, he took me to a, a, a tie shop in St. Catherine Street. He bought me 70 of the ugliest ties imaginable, and I had to wear them every day. But Joe is a good friend, and you know, he really got me set and straight, and uh, I really owe a lot to him, it, 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 as I do to all the other guys he mentioned. Jay, in, uh, in 2000, 
the Mets and the Yankees meet in the Subway Series. Right. Now, I may be one of the only people that feels this way, and I'm sure it was a, an interesting series to do publicity for. I was always of the mindset, I didn't like the fact it was a Subway Series because the Mets did not get to, you know, the Yankees had been to the series and winning the series. You know, it seemed like every year they're getting there. Right, And right. this was the Mets' time in the spotlight. And I, as a Mets fan, hated the fact that we had to share no. that spotlight with the Yankees. I agree with you 100%. We never got the credit for that team. We won, I think, 94 games, swept through the playoff. And we lost four games by a total of five runs. You know, we'll go to the first game in Yankee Stadium. We, uh, you know, have the league go to the ninth inning. We lose in 12 innings. And, you know, I mean, no, there's no question that the team is really, you know, but, you know, we didn't really have a lot of great superstars on that team. We had Mike, a lot of professional guys like Ventura and Todd Zeal and Jay Payton, you know, and, you know, Al Leiter and Bobby Jones and Rick Reed. But, you know, really, the team hasn't gotten probably the most underestimated Mets team in, since I've been there. Underappreciated, rather. Underappreciated. Absolutely. The book is called Mr. Matt, How a Sports Mad Kid from Jersey Became uh, Like Family to a Generation of Big Leaguers. Jay, one of the more poignant main parts of the book is about 9-11. Of course, it was a horrible time for all of us. Baseball returned a few days later, back at Shea at, uh, nine, uh, on September 21st. Take us back to that day before the opening of the stadium to the fans. What was it like the feeling in, a, in the office, in the clubhouse? What was, uh, what was going on that day? Well, you know, everybody says, you know, 86 was a great moment. For me, uh, the, what, what the organization did on 9-11 was probably my most proudest moment because from the ownership to Bobby Valentine to the players, you know, to Todd Zeal, Todd, Bob, you know, Robin Ventura, Mike, and Johnny Franco, going that day when we played that game, I was scared, to be honest with you. When the, I had told, you know, good friends of mine, Lyndon Mark Emmer, to stay away. I didn't know what was going to happen at the ballpark. Is it going to be another bomb? Is it going to be... So a plane and attack, but you know when Mike hit the home run, it really kind of united the whole city. For the first time, the police and firemen, the kids were able to smile. And after the game, the players went to the dugout to sign autographs. You know, right around the time we we visited uh, Ground Zero 10, 12, 14 times, never went out any cameras, just to hand out stuff uh, to the people. You know, Chase Stadium was a became a uh, was arrested was a re- people brought supplies here. We shipped it downtown. We started to work with Tuesday's Children, which took care of the, you know, more than 3,000 kids who lost a parent on 9-11. So it was just, a, you know, again, nobody knew what to expect. I mean, you know, whether, you know, I remember, you know, May Giuliani was there, got, you know, Diana Ross sang the National Anthem, Lisa Manley sang uh, God Bless America. It was just a, a great night. But again, now no one knew what that was. I was scared. And a lot of our players were scared too, but, you know, it was the right thing. The mayor wanted us to play. And, you know, once the game started, we knew we were doing the right thing. Do you miss Shea Stadium at all? I do. You know, let me say this before I get myself in trouble. Uh, Shea Stadium was my home for 29 years. I loved the place. I knew every area of it. But it was time when we moved to City Field. City Field's a great field. Most of the seats are in fair territory. The fans are close to the stadium. And it's got, it's got like a homegrown field. You know, the Wilpon, Fred Wilpon is a big Dodger fan. So uh, City Field's got a lot of the fields of uh, Ebbets Field. And it's a great place. It's a great place to watch a game. Jay, I, I have a feeling that from reading this book, there is nothing that you would not do for this team. 
And, and it's just a beautiful thing. The relationships that you have with the players, things that they say about you, it's really just, it's a beautiful thing. You, you had to, when you, when you were writing this book and to hear all these comments and to maybe just putting your life in perspective and everything, because, you know, days go by and you don't think about things, putting it all together. How did it make you feel when you when when you were hearing all these things and writing? It was not. Nice. It's very humbled. You know, again, I try to treat people treat people the right way. If you're a superstar, you know, I, and and I just try to be nice to people. You know, my father mm-hmm. and mother always told me, if you're nice to people, they'll be nice to you back. And that's what I always mm-hmm. try to do. But it was when I switched jobs uh, when I became the alumni director in 2018. I was really very humbled by. You know, 10, 12, 14, 15, the guys came back. You know, Bobby Valentine, Terry Collins was there. You know, Doc and Daryl, Ron Darling, Keith. It made me feel good that, you know, maybe I did some good things in my life. You, did, you know, you mentioned your parents just now. I, I know you have a, a picture in your book of your parents, and you look just like your dad. You know that? I mean, uh, he <laughs> is, uh, my father was a big football giant fan and, and uh, baseball giant fan. And I remember still in 1954, we were watching – you know, the, uh, when Willie Mays made the great character of a Vic Wirtz in the World Series. And in the, when the years when the Giants, when it was no Mets, my dad used to take me to, uh, to Philadelphia every year to watch the Giants play. So my only regret about this job, my father died in 1970, and uh, he was never able to see me get to the major leagues. And my mom, you know, bless her heart, went to the World Series, uh, Gertrude, in, in 1986. So she got to see a little bit of uh, what it was like to be in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you always want your parents to be right. able to see right. your accomplishments. That's right. that's very true. But we have to believe that they're, they they know. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Jay, you have a chapter on this, on this book, in your book, uh, dedicated to Shannon Ford. Can you uh, right. please tell I, us? How, I know reading it, I really felt how the connection you had with, with her. Uh, you know, right. I, I knew from the papers and, and everything else, but you, reading this book, you was like, such a close It wasn't just her. Shannon had a way of making everybody like her. The front office loved her, the players loved her, and the media loved her. And that's really hard for a PR person to do, to keep all three people aligned. Shannon, you know, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in, uh, in 2011, got progressively worse. You know, and then, you know, she willed herself to work the World Series in 2015. And she and David Wright had a special relationship. You know, when, when Shannon got to Kansas City, she would sit with David, and she never wanted to talk about herself. And, you know, in spring training, and she couldn't make spring training in 2016, and she, you know, passed away. And, uh, you know, 44 years old, two young kids, it's too young to die. And when she died, you, gotta, you know, nine major league teams held a moment of silence for her. And MLB got together and they, they built a field in her honor. Shannon Dorton Field is in her hometown, Little Ferry, which is a pretty good testament. And that's one of the reasons why I write the book is a tribute to her. Is that people wouldn't forget her legacy. Right, right. Everyone should read this book, even in the acknowledgments. And I'm so glad that you mentioned Jim Plummer. When I, worked, Jim? when I worked for you, he was one of the best people in the organization. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, you let everybody I, I, know what kind of special person he was. He would kill me if, if he knew the, the name of the book was Mr. Met, because in my eyes, Plum was the real Mr. Met. Nobody, greatest practical joker, probably next to Johnny Franco. I used to go to the Nick games with him a lot, and he, Jimmy would never let me hold the tickets. So this is what he did more than once. We get to our seats, 
and, and he would say, I'm, I, he never liked the ticket. He said, Jay, I'm going to get some popcorn. I'll be right back. He would have an usher friend of his come over to me and say, where's your ticket, sir? I have until we have to leave. Once or twice, he had me evicted from the from Madison Garden. That was fun. He, he was uh, he was a great pack of joker, and uh, he died, you know, kidney failure at uh, fifty seven too. He was just you know, but a great guy. And he, he was we it was really nice. We have a room in his honor at the City Field. Plum never got to he never got to City Field. It's called the Plum Room, and we have the uh, the people the Anson Fingers. The first ball throw was used the room, so. Jimmy's still a part of us. He always will be. Oh, good. That's, that's good to hear. Yeah, he was he was a great guy. Yeah, Absolutely right. great guy. Tell us about your, your new position, alumni director. Yeah, yeah. I, I, honestly, when I when Jeff Wilpon offered me the job in 2018, I wasn't crazy about it. I enjoyed the camaraderie in the locker room. I liked traveling. But he said to me, you know what, the following year was the 50th anniversary of the 69 team. We really haven't done a whole lot with these guys on a daily basis. Think about switch it over. So I said, you know what? I thought about it. I said, yeah, it's a great idea. It's time for a change. And, you know, we've really been able to do a lot of good things. You know, we, we, we call people who have, haven't heard from us in a long time. I'll give you an example. Hobie Landrum was the first person drafted by the Mets in 1961. I called him about a, six, four or five months ago, and he said to me, I'm the first person to call from the organization in 50 years. So we want to bring these guys back to the family, you know, guys like Cleon and Ed Cranepool and, you know, and, and Jerry Kuzman. You know, fortunately, you know, Tom Seaver is sick, Buddy is sick. Mm. But just to let these people know, we, we care and, and they're still part of the Mets family. Yeah, I was at uh, two of the games last year celebrating the 69 series. That was that was yeah. some ceremony. That was fantastic. And Buddy's also suffering, uh, but he he actually went to the uh, ceremonies last yeah, year. Yeah, he was there. He's fighting a good fight. You know, he's trying to do what he can. He's fighting a good fight. And he's still part owner of the Ducks, isn't he? What's that? He's still part owner of the Long Island Yeah, he's the owner of the Ducks. He still goes to the game. Yeah, people take him there and he goes. And Buddy, you know, Buddy's the only person. He's got a 69 ring and an 86 ring. That's right. That's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. The only person in the field. <laughs> yeah, manager, coach, player, you know, big part of our organization. Yes, absolutely. So, Jay, I really love what you did on, on Friday night. You bring back some alumni. You, have, you know, it's surprised to see a couple of players sitting outside the plaza and signing autographs. That's always fun to find out who's going to be there. Was that your That's idea? probably one of the best things that we did. Yes. You know, have, you know, guys like Doug Flynn, Joe Youngblood, uh, Butch Husky, you know, Jay Payton. And the fans, they didn't have to be Fred Superstar. There were people who had men identity, and the players, the players loved it. They, they like, we were going to do the same thing this year. So hopefully, maybe next year we get back to normal. We can do it again. You know, they would come for the weekends and you know do social media, go on the field, you know, meet the current players. You know, and a lot of the guys, like guys like last year, guys like Todd Fraser and Peter Alonzo, were really interested in the alumni. Anytime we had an alumni guy in the event, they would always come over and introduce themselves. So it was a I think the, it's really good to have the current players know a little bit about the past history of the club. Yeah, I remember meeting John Matlack out there one day, and he was yeah, one of my yeah, favorites. John, yeah, nice guy. Unfortunately, we have we would duck him and Ron Darling and, and Fonzie in the Hall of Fame, but and Jerry Kuzman's number is going to have to be postponed to next year. Mm-hmm. So it's how, all good. I'm really happy what I'm doing. I think we're doing some good things. How, how does it get decided who's going to the Hall of Fame and, and whose number is going to be retired? We have a committee who votes and. One of the things when, when I got this job, we decided we had got a couple of years without inducting people, you know, and so we would kind of be more proactive with number, uh, retirement of numbers. 
and inductees. We have a seven or eight minute committee and we vote and, you know, and we look at the records and analyze everything. Mm-hmm. And when is Gil getting into the baseball hall of fame? That's uh, I hopefully, they, God rest his soul. And, you know, Joan Hodges is still alive. She's 94 years old. And they have a, a veterans committee who's going to vote this November, December. And, you know, it's a 16-person committee, 12 votes to get in. And hopefully it would be a great gift to Joan and that, that Gil would get in, you know, rightfully deserves to get in. People, people don't forget when, when he retired, uh, it, he had the most home runs of any right-handed batter in the National League. And I found out, talked to a lot of the old Dodgers, you know, Pee Wee Reese got a lot of credit for helping Jackie Robinson. But Pee Wee took care of the left side in the infield. Gil took care of that side. And, and he was really Jackie's protector, you know, stood up for him. And so that alone should get him into the Hall of Fame for what he did. Absolutely. And he also was the first three, three years he, was, he received the first three gold gloves and he would have had more had they had, had, they had that award back then. Yeah. And he, and, he, you know, he's, uh, and he was a gentleman. I, he, his 69 guys worship him, mm-hmm. you know, to a man, they all worship him. He never said a bad word on anybody. If he had something bad to say, you call him in the office. He never would embarrass a player. And he always made, he always made the right moves. I mean, he always had a knack for, I was watching the 69 World Series was on now, and he, he left Nolan Ryan, who was wide at the time, left him in, faced certain batters, you know, went with his gut. But two, you know, we had had four, four regular players on a 69 team. You know, Jerry mm-hmm. Gurry, Bud, Bud Harrelson, Cleon, and Tommy Agee. Platoon in every other position. Mm-hmm. Every other position. So even, like, in, in, in playoffs against the Braves in 69, Armstrongski had 540 in the playoffs. He didn't play at all in the World Series except for one game. Right, he plays Svoboda, and Svoboda went on to have the, the big catch. I know Shansky and, and Svoboda both wrote lovingly in their books about Gil Hodges. I mean, Ron, I know Ron had his problems with him, but uh, he he really respected him. Yeah, but they, he knew. But I, to a man, they yeah. all would be the '69 celebration is great. We get some way that he gets in, and we really cap off a good two years, especially for Joan. Would be great for her. Oh, absolutely. You know, Jay, there's somebody, uh, he's not associated with the Mets. I was just, you were just talking about good guys and stuff that you may even know him. Bob Kendrick, he's the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. I met him, I met him a couple of times when I was in Kansas City. We took a tour. You know, I just recently, when Curtis Granderson was here, we went there. And, you know, I mean, I mean, it's a great museum. It's a great museum. I don't know a person. I just met him when we were there. Mm. Now, I was just thinking because he would be somebody who would be great to come and throw out a first pitch or yeah, something. Yeah, I know. You know. <laughs> yeah, just just a good guy. I just yeah. I'm just making a. I'm just you know, I'm thinking. I'm I'm helping with you know with the with your job or. <laughs> yeah, I hear <laughs> you, man. Job, I always, anyway. always can use help. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so could we? We want to Jay right now. So you know, I mean, you probably have a lot of free time on your hands, and we could use a PR guy for our podcast. So. Uh, <laughs> We we may have well, to no, hire you no, as a side gig. <laughs> well, I pre- yeah, honestly, we've been getting a lot of requests from the media for historical stuff. For you know, with no sports going on, we want to speak to guys on the 2000 team, the 86 team, the 69 team. So you know, SNY has been doing a lot of historical stuff too. Mm-hmm. So I've been working with them, getting some guests for them too. So oh. you you so you have your hands full. 
No, 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 not that big. No, 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 no. But it is, Jay. It is very busy. Jay, uh, I also got to compliment you on your podcast that you do every week. I really enjoy listening to that. You get you guys and you talk talk about the olden days and some uh, some new guys, you know. But it's really uh, great great to hear that. I tr- yeah, I try and get in and get some human interest stuff and not just make it uh, hits, runs, and errors, and you know. And uh, so, Jay, what can we look forward to in uh, 2021? I know we have the Kuzmin retirement number ceremony. And, yeah, and, and probably hopefully to induct Ronnie and uh, and Fonzie and Matt like in the Hall of Fame, and you know, hopefully you know we continue we can bring alumni back like we've been doing. Again, I we don't know what the landscape's going to be, but. I, I, you know, the guys like coming back. The fans like to see him come back. We always continue that and, you know, keep doing the podcast and the mm-hmm. newsletter and uh, just try to keep the Mets in a positive light. And any update on the Siva statue? In next year or so, again, it's, everything is kind of slowed down a little sure. bit because of the, the, the virus, but that's well underway. And, you know, Jeff is always committed to have that. And, and it'll be a nice tribute to Tom. And I'm glad we change the name of the stadium to 41 Seaver Way. And we did something for Mike in Florida, you know, 31 Piazza Avenue down in Florida. So, yeah, we we nice tribute for Tom. I mean, you know, can, can Absolutely. Jay, the name of the book is Mr. Met, How a Sports Met Kid from Jersey Became Family, like to generations of big leaguers. Jay, we could, can't thank you enough for spending a half hour with us. Yes. Uh, it's, dude, My pleasure, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Be safe and hope to see you guys soon. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you very much. We greatly Bye. appreciate Bye. it. Bye-bye. Jeff, I don't know if that was a gift to our listeners or to us, because Jay Horowitz is an absolute treasure. He's been doing this for years, like you said. You could tell from the interview. He loves what he does. The, the guy has been pranked. <laughs> he might, he might <laughs> have the record for being pranked at work. Right. And... Give us a call, 516-855-8214. Let us know about how you like this episode. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Also, do us a favor, rate and review us. It gets out, people find out more about us. Please do that. And now we're going to end the show with none other than the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser, and their song, Ace and Bobo. See you next time. Enjoy. <laughs>